Okay, what's up, you guys? And welcome back to the Televised Podcast. My name is Anna, and today we're going to be talking about uh, Batwoman Season 2, Episode 11, rather quickly. And then we're going to be talking about Supergirl Season 6, Episode 4. Um, they're, they were definitely, like, super great episodes this week. I really enjoyed them. Uh, <laughs> the Supergirl one was another, like, really awesome episode, but I'm still, like, ah, oh, they've not outdone episode three yet, and I'm, I'm excited to see <laughs> if they can do that, because that episode was just, like, it for me. I loved it. Loved it so much. Um, and Batwoman had a really fun episode this week. Definitely a lot of good Alice stuff, but we'll, we'll get into that. Um, is there any, like, I don't think there's any, like, crazy news that's come out recently, I don't believe. Um, yeah, I guess let's just get into Batwoman pretty quick. Um, so Batwoman 211 was called Arrive Alive, and it <laughs> this episode is kind of how I imagine every Fast and Furious movie to be. I've never seen one. There's like a million of them. Never seen one. But this is exactly how I imagine uh, those films to, in fact, be like. Um, <laughs> just because, it's like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know anything about cars. I don't really care much about cars. But it's like, I definitely got all the references, you know, like Tokyo Drift kind of stuff. <laughs> but every, like, all the car stuff, I kind of was like, okay. I believe you. You know, like, they could have said anything about, like, you know, when Ryan was kind of, like, rattling off this, like, statistics, or not statistics, but, like, this, the, uh, her, like, I guess, like, stats, her, like, car stats. I was like, I believe you. Whatever you say. She could have said anything, and I would have been like, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It was really good, though. It was a very good episode, especially, like I said, Alice had this really, really compelling storyline this episode. Uh, she spent most of it in therapy uh, with Enigma, which, I mean, therapy is something that I think most DCTV characters could use, especially across both Batwoman and Supergirl. Um, <laughs> but I think maybe therapy from a, like, villainous, like, probably, like, sociopathic kind of person not necessarily the kind of therapy that I think Alice really needs in her life right now, you know? Um, (laughs) But it was a really good episode, especially in terms of, like, seeing Enigma and how Enigma reacted to Alice. It was like watching Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein, like, react to his monster. You know what I mean? Like, because Enigma... Even though it was, it was Sophia's wish, you know what I mean? Like, it was Sophia's order and, and Sophia's, like, request that was what got Alice turned into Alice. It was Enigma that, that carried it out. You know, she created Alice. Sophia and Enigma created Alice very much together. And they're both very responsible for the person that she is today that we've seen on the show for the past two years. And for her to be so genuinely scared of Alice was so interesting. And I, I just, it was kind of cool because it was like, she fully underestimated just what she had created, you know, with Sophia. And I, I think that was, that was really interesting. And I don't know, it was just, it was crazy. And I mean, especially, I mean, speaking of the reasons that she was scared of Alice, I mean, 
she like came in and like killed that guy in cold blood, which is something that of course we've seen Alice do before. And genuinely kind of just felt like out of, uh, like a, like she killed him out of spite to kind of be like, ha like I'm not, you know, as squishy as everybody thinks I am, you know, here we go. Zink. And, uh, I don't know. I, I think that that was kind of like, I mean, obviously her reaching out to Enigma was like her last ditch effort to, uh, like, go back to the careless, quote unquote, evil Alice that she was before, you know, before she found out any of this stuff about Ocean, about Kate, about any of that. And I think that, obviously, going to Enigma was, like, her last-ditch effort to try to get back to that person, that kind of ruthless uh, human being. And I think that her killing that guy was her being like, look, I'm not as, I'm not soft, you know, look, I'm evil. But then, obviously, like, Enigma pulls this, like, crazy card out of her back pocket and, surprise, she restores both Alice and Ocean's memories. And I mean, honestly, I was a little bit surprised that we, that Ocean came back to National City so quickly. I don't know. I, I don't know. I guess I was like, I don't know what he's doing now. I mean, Cory, I mean, uh, he said that Cor- all the flowers on Coriana are burned. So like, what kind of business does Sophia have anymore? And it's like, what is he doing for her? <laughs> he said he was in National City, like, on business, and he just wanted to swing by. But I don't know if I believe him. Um, and I don't even remember, like, the code word that, that, uh, that she said. But that does, that's important, I think. That was an important uh, thing that we all witnessed, was to see this code word be used to snap Alice and Ocean out of those memories. Because that means, or, you know, snap, restore their memories and, and erase the effect of Enigma. Uh, because that means there's some kind of code word for Julia, for whatever memories were altered with her. There's some kind of code word for Kate when when she comes back, which is next episode, uh, according to... Uh, everything i guess i mean i think um i think actually wallace confirmed it somewhere i swear that kate is coming in 212 um but you know when we get kate back she is obviously gonna be a different person because of what enigma planted in her mind but if the bat team can figure out the code word or like pull it out of enigma that's something that's, like, really important that that we know. It's very pertinent information <laughs> in the effort to get Kate Kane back. Um, and and in the promo as well, we s- I saw that uh, there will be Alice and Ryan teaming up again, which is very interesting. Um, and it kind of, like, I, I have so many questions about Alice now after getting all of those memories restored and especially like if it changed her personality entirely in entirely because that's what Sophia made it sound like was that she was the one who planted this entire personality inside of Alice's mind to be this like ruthless killer who you know was going to be this queen of this gang and like you know be exactly like Sophia 
And I just wonder what kind of changes we're going to see to Alice's character after this. And I'm especially interested to see how she works with Ryan if she is kind of almost a new, not necessarily a new person, because we know that before she met, before she was on Coriana, before she even left uh, the house, um, she did, I mean, she burned that old lady alive, but (laughs) not that she didn't deserve it, but, you know, I mean, obviously there was something in Alice that snapped before anything to do with Sophia even happened, but if there is so much of Alice's personality that's based on Sophia's influence and Enigma's influence, how are we going to see her be different now that the that bond is broken. Also, I talking about Alice and Ocean, why did they get to make out so much? There were three, three, like, like, uh, like, uh, uh, crazy, like, makeout scenes in this, in this past episode alone. I don't think two women have kissed each other on this show this whole entire season (laughs) on the lips. I know that, listen, I was trying to figure this out earlier on Twitter. Um, (laughs) I know that Ryan and Angelique, I don't think they've ever kissed on the mouth this whole time. They had like a forehead kiss. But like, (sighs) why do Alice and Ocean get to kiss so much? Oh my god. This show is so gay, but, like, only the two straight people get to kiss. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I don't, like, hate them or anything. I don't hate their relationship or whatever. Like, I, it's fine. I don't, I don't particularly, like, they're not my favorite heads I've ever seen, but, I mean, it's just strange. I'm like, why do you guys get to kiss so much and none of my little gay women on this show get to kiss but I mean none of them are dating each other either like why can we can we start dating please (laughs) once Kate comes back and then we have the the Kate Ryan uh Sophie love triangle that we deserve I will eat my words absolutely but until then I can you kiss can these gay women kiss on the gay women show (laughs) um also though this episode showed that somehow jacob has become even more of a dickwad than than he was before who who could have known who could have thought that he could have gotten even worse um but obviously i mean he's uh dealing with all the snake bites and and obviously there's like a snake bite shortage that was kind of the plot of like half of this episode was that there's like a snake bite shortage and no one knows how to make it because apparently ocean's the only one that knows how to make it and they kidnapped angelique because they thought she knew how to make it she doesn't know how to make it either so apparently jacob is jonesing and and he just is taking it out on everybody and sophie especially very upsetting. But I, the thing is that how I want this storyline to, to end for Jacob, like with this addiction storyline, is I kind of do want to just see him like fully go down. Like, like he gets caught at the crows and then he gets fired. Like, I think it's what he deserves. I think it's what he deserves. I just don't like him. I hate him. He's just not good. He's not good. I mean, he's a, he's an intri- it's he's an he's an intriguing character. Like he's not a poorly written character. I just don't like the guy. Wouldn't want to hang out with him. Wouldn't want to be around him. Wouldn't want to work for him. 
nope, no thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of Sophie, though, Ryan and Sophie work together a whole lot this episode, and Ryan being actually Ryan and not Batwoman, even though Batwoman does show up and, and, and mess with Sophie's plan a little bit, but really it's Ryan who who is kind of Sophie's partner in crime for this whole scenario. And there was a really funny scene where Luke and Ryan had to pretend like they didn't know each other. And it was so funny because they both were not convincing. <laughs> and if I was Sophie, I'd be like, why are you guys, do you know each other? Like, why are you acting so weird? And I mean, I don't think it would be that odd if they knew each other, especially because Luke and Mary are so close and, and Sophie knows that. She knows how close Luke and Mary are. Like, how? why would they have never met before? Because she's Mary's roommate. Like, I, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but anyway, in the end of the episode, though, we see that Sophie finds out. She knows now that Ryan is Batwoman. And I am actually so glad that they did this because I think... I think it would have been a little bit foolish to repeat the same storyline over again, you know, where it's like, you know, we had the double identity thing with Sophie last season with Kate, and I'm I'm really glad that they just kind of were like, all right, we're only going to do, you know, half a season, and Sophie is going to find out, like, halfway through, and I... I just, I don't know. I think that that works really well in building a bat team that is just, like, open and honest. And I, I really do see Sophie, like, I don't know. I don't know how much longer her future is with the Crows, you know? Because I think she, I mean, this episode, she saw that she can get just as much done without the Crows. You know, she was able to do shit on her own and and push through and 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 even though they didn't save Angelique like they wanted to, they did end up getting at least some intel on Black Mask and and what they're doing and what they want. And I think that that counts for something, you know. I mean, they worked really well together, Ryan and Sophie, and then also Sophie and Batwoman, like, so I'm excited to see Sophie kind of reconcile those two characters as one person, and I don't know, I'm just, I'm glad that they, they just went for it, you know, they were like, all right, let's not drag this out any longer, we're just gonna, Sophie's gonna find out, and that's gonna be it, and I'm, I don't know, I'm excited, especially because that means that she, she has more things, she simultaneously has more and less things to worry about, because obviously when Kate comes back, that's going to be, like, a huge thing for Sophie, for Sophie to reconcile and deal with, but also now she's gonna have to reconcile Ryan being Batwoman and whatever kind of, um, relationship or friendship or whatever was, you know, is, is, is forming between Ryan and Sophie or, you know, whatever, whatever's happening there, she's gonna have to deal with too. And it's, it's really interesting. And I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm just so glad that they didn't drag it out because they really could have. And I, I think it was a really good choice to not, uh, kind of string Sophie along like that, because I think it would just kind of put her back in the same position that she was in last year, last season, with the, you know, like, uh, working with the crows, but then she, she likes Batwoman for whatever reason, and, you know, eh. 
I'm glad that she knows now. And and it, it really, it gives also more tension to the relationship between Jacob and Sophie, where now she knows the identity of Batwoman again. You know, she knows who's Batwoman now, and she's working with Batwoman, and Jacob is becoming progressively more uh, unhinged. And I think it's kind of a downward spiral that's going to you know, kind of keep building to either Jacob getting fired from the Crows or Sophie ultimately leaving the Crows. Either way, very interested in that. But also, I think something that, I mean, I didn't see a lot of people talking about this after the episode aired, but it was very concerning to me that the new Crow guy, the, I don't know, the Crow guy that came in, I can't remember his name, don't, he was... brunette and a little beard. I don't know. The crow guy. Anyway, (laughs) he got Batwoman's blood. Oh no. And that means that he has Batwoman's DNA, right? I mean, and when you go to prison, I think that you're required to give up your DNA. So I think that if he were to just, like, slap it in the system, he would find out immediately that Ryan Wilder is Batwoman. And that is very scary to me. And I I don't know how that's going to play out. Oh, God. It's very... I'm very concerned. That was a very... That was a point of concern for me. Because, I mean, I don't know how Gotham jail works, but, like, I've listened to enough true crime to know that, like, when you get, I think when you get, like, convicted of something and you go to prison, they, like, take your DNA. I guess. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm totally wrong on that. But, I, I mean, that's how they build it. They, they build it. That's how they built, like, CODIS. Like, the, the, the DNA database. Like, and they just, like, run your little DNA through there. I, I don't know. Anyway, the thing, the main point of concern here is that I don't want Ryan to be caught because there's so many, I mean, the thing is that for Ryan, as compared to, like, if if a bunch of people found out that, or if, like, the Crows found out that Kate is Batwoman, like, at, like, if this was, like, season one, Kate had, I mean... She has stuff to lose, but she also has so much more power than Ryan. You know what I mean? Like, she has so much money, and the crows are corrupt notoriously. So if she paid them off, I don't think a lot would have been made of that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like Kate has a lot of power and a lot of influence. And and Ryan, though, is is the opposite. And that's obviously what this season has been exploring in the first place, is Ryan's, uh, I guess, like lack of power in her personal life as compared to Kate's abundance of power in her personal life. Um, and, and so for Ryan, if they run the little DNA and she pings and she's Batwoman and she's already been to prison and she's currently on parole, you know, checking in with her parole officer, like, that's not good. I don't think masked vigilanteism is, uh, uh, an okay thing on your little parole, uh, you know, uh, requirements. <laughs> I don't think that that's, like, a good thing. So, very concerned for Ryan at the moment. That was very concerning to me. Um, 
Also, though, I guess uh, no Batwoman tomorrow when you're listening to this. There will not be a Batwoman tomorrow, but there will be a Batwoman next Sunday. And they finally, finally, they finally get the 9, 8 central time slot. I have been waiting for this one. (laughs) I've been waiting so long for Batwoman to finally go into that, like, 9 o'clock time slot because it makes absolute sense that they go there. There's no reason why they shouldn't, that they weren't, there was no good reason to put them anywhere else. You know what I mean? I mean, because the later your show is, technically it's supposed to be kind of like the later your show is, the more that they allow you to get away with, like the more uh, like gruesome you can be potentially, or like the more you could curse maybe, you know, it's depending on the network and whatever. But usually, kind of the show that is, you know, more, uh, like, a little bit riskier goes goes second. You know, gets that, like, 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock time slot rather than, like, the 8 o'clock time slot. And I was always so surprised. I mean, not really, because it was, season one was Batwoman's first season. And normally, if it's a first season, they'll put it, you know, right at the top of the, you know, viewing hour, so that's good, you know, get them that eight o'clock viewership and then have, uh, have it carry over into Supergirl with how they did it last year. But I thought for season two that they would just, like, you know, give them a little flip, especially because of the content of the show. Like, I mean, season one totally should have been on at eight o'clock or nine o'clock, uh, (laughs) Because, like, the face stuff, guys, the face stuff for a 7 p.m. time slot, or, you know, sorry, I I live in central time, so it's technically 7 o'clock and then 8 o'clock, but, like, east coast, it's 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock. But, like, oh my god, they always should have been in this 9 o'clock time slot. I'm really excited to see them there. I think, I don't know who they're airing after. I didn't actually look. It might be... It might be Legends of Tomorrow. I might be wrong about that. I, I could totally be making that up. <laughs> I could totally be making that up. But it might be... They might be after Legends. Um, uh, but but I'm just glad to see them in that, in that time slot. Uh, very excited about that. Anyway, now let's get into Supergirl. Uh, this episode was actually a pretty short episode. It had a 38-minute total runtime. Uh, which is pretty short for for an episode. I mean, usually the episodes are only like 42 minutes, so it was only like two minutes shorter than usual. But they also included the original uh, intro, which is also kind of something that they use to fill up a bit of time to like push it over that limit. Um, which, I mean, I don't know. I totally understand because they were filming without their star for a really long time. And it totally makes sense that you would just have some episodes that are a bit shorter when you're trying to make up for lost time in certain areas with certain cast members being gone or working on maybe something else. I don't know. Makes sense to me. It didn't bother me all that much, but it was kind of a a shorter episode, but it was definitely full of a lot of stuff. Um, (laughs) the episode was called Lost Souls. It was the fourth episode of season six. Um, and we start the episode with Nixley, Kara, and Zor-El, uh, Team Phantom Zone. I might just refer to them as that the whole time. Uh, (laughs) and they all portal jump and they're, and they're 
trying to find that anchor that they talked about uh, last episode. And they do. They find this anchor and it's like this big building, basically. It's like a big building with like a red light on top. And they're like, oh my god, found it. <laughs> and Zorel is like definitely very concerned about Kara at the moment, but she kind of brushes it off. She's definitely like soldiering through it. You know, she's pushing through. Because I, she, she's looking at the anchor and she's like, we're going home. You know, she's, I don't think she's had to deal yet with or actually internalize anything that has fully happened to her. You know, the emotions of the Phantom Zone. I don't think she, or, or even like seeing her dad again. I don't think she's fully, uh you know, put, put all the pieces together yet uh, inside, you know, like let herself really like think about everything that's gone down. I think she is just soldiering through it all. And I, I'm excited because obviously at the end of this episode, this something happens where, uh, you know, definitely going to change that. So I'm excited to see how her state of mind is in these next couple of episodes. Um, so back on Earth, Magon has these nightmares in the tower about phantoms and souls and nests and all kinds of creepy stuff. And, 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 uh, the super friends reveal that they are still chasing phantoms after last week. They just can't get a handle on their phantom problem. And all of their cells are starting to fill up. They're starting to, like, run out of room for phantoms inside of all of their holding cells. Um, so we see Nia giving Lena a tour of the tower. And that was so sweet. And you just know that Nicole and Katie absolutely loved to do that. Like, you know that they love to do that. Like, that probably was, like, such a fun scene for them because they've never really had, like, little, like, interactions before, like, between... I mean, they have, but not, like, really specialized, like, interactions, so that was really fun to see. Um, and so Magan says that she is connected to the hive mind and that she's still 18% phantom, so she can hone in on Kara's life force in the phantom zone and, and she can even, like, locate the lair and release the souls, and and Lena reveals her little project that she stayed up all night working on. Uh, she made this, like, proto-trap thing with, like, the uh, backpack and a gun, and I mean, listen, before Brainy even said anything, I was like, oh, the thing from Ghostbusters, and Brainy was like, oh my god, it's like Ghostbusters, and, and Lena was like, but that's a movie, and he's like, it's the best movie. And Lena was like, but this is, the prototrap is real. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and that was such a fun interaction. I, I've been wanting these, this like brainy Lena siblings interaction for so long because they have such the potential to just be literally besties, literally siblings, like, the best duo, and I am just so happy to see all of their interactions, and it's, ah, oh, it's so wonderful. So she, she made, it's called, she calls it a prototrap, and it, basically what it does is it sucks up a phantom, and the backpack will, like, send it to, automatically, to one of the holding cells, uh, in the tower, which is really, really convenient, because there's, you know, as they confirm, they're multiplying really quickly, uh, and that's dangerous. 
so Lena is officially part of the Super Friends now, and that was such a wonderful scene because again, it's like everything that we've ever wanted for the past like four seasons of Lena being on the show. I've just wanted her to be integrated into Kara's friend group and into her life and into the missions and everything, and it just feels so good now that they're all together. Um, but they've got a problem to deal with, so Nia, Magan, Jean, and Brainy all end up going to Noonan's, and Nia says macchiato mess, and that is something that was a very interesting choice. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's, the Noonan's is being haunted by a phantom, and they find this woman who has the slashes in her neck, and she turns into a phantom, and they see as she's turning into a phantom, her life force is leaving her. So Magan can actually see as the life force is leaving this woman's body, and she goes to chase after it <laughs> while um, while Jean and Nia and Brainy deal with the phantoms. So they, in the middle of this fight against like this prime phantom who can apparently, apparently he gets bigger. There's a lot of more lore on this later. Um, <laughs> Nia has a vision where we see young Kara and Alex from Midvale, and we see Midvale high, and we, uh, yes, yeah! I am, guys, when I tell you that I am so excited for the Midvale episodes, I am not kidding. I'm not joking. I am not playing around. I love the Midvale. The original Midvale episode is genuinely one of my favorite episodes that Supergirl has ever done. I adore it so much. I adore, I think the, they had perfect, like literally perfect casting for the young kids who played young Kara and young Alex. There, it's just, I am just so excited that we're going back to do two more episodes in Midvale. I'm so thrilled about that. I'm so excited. I, I cannot state enough how thrilled I'm going to be to talk about Midvale for these next two episodes. Yeah. Anyway, though, so Nia has this vision, and it's a vision that she's been having before. And, but now it's like she fully sees young Kara and young Alex and we see the actors, you know, uh, and she is like really upset kind of by how disruptive this vision is becoming. Um, so meanwhile, in the Phantom Zone, Kara fully, okay, she, she fully opens these doors, this set of like iron or like metal or whatever doors well, fully, like, depowered, she's like, sorry, normally I have super strength. Like, girly, you just busted open these doors on your own, like, of your own just, like, beef and brawn. I'm like, oh my god, Cara Danvers beefcake. Like, <laughs> anyway, though, so apparently they're looking for a mirror, which can only be activated by the quote-unquote righteous, which I assume, you know, is, like, code for Kryptonian, um, you know, because Allura, <laughs> definitely, anyway, uh, <laughs> and it'll actually lead you, once you activate it, it'll lead you directly to your home, and then you could just, like, walk right through it, 
Um, but when they find the mirror, it's it's broken, so they need a new plan. And and Nixley's magic can't even fix it, and Zorel is fully ready to throw in the towel. He's like, I'm not this is hopeless. Let's just go back to being miserable. I don't know what his deal is, but he is like the He's like a wet sock. He's not He's not good. He's not a good buddy to have in the Phantom Zone. Um, but they decide, you know what? Allura would never leave her people high and dry here like her, so- her soldiers here. So we need to find the, nu- the other mirror that we assume that she has here. So that's what they go to do. Um, back on Earth, though, Magan is chasing after this life force, but she is fully, like, unable to catch up with it. Because um, apparently, while she's getting close to this life force, she was, like, turning again. She was turning into a phantom. And it's because she isn't, like, fully 100% herself. So she's, like, being pulled apart, basically, and, like, turned before she got away. Because the the little piece of her soul was, like, fighting with the piece, the uh, like, the phantom part of her that's still left. Um... And Brainy, in this instance, lays on a lot of phantom, a lot of phantom exposition, saying that once the prime phantom reaches full power or whatever, uh, the egg that he keeps the souls in will harden and they'll be lost forever and he will basically be unstoppable. Brainy says that once they release the souls, Magan uh, will get her original soul back, so that's good, that's great, she'll get her soul back, but it leaves her without that power to find, like, to locate somebody's life force, and that's a huge problem because they were going to use that fun little power to locate Kara. And Alex says that they need to save Kara before they let the souls go, but Jean is like, no, we don't have time for that, we need to attack this before any of this becomes undoable, before we can even, before we can't stop it. And they throw in a line, like a really eye roll kind of line about a global pandemic. I'm like, shut up. I watched this show to escape. If I don't want to hear about the pandemic, I'm, (laughs) I have pandemic fatigue (laughs) um so alex says look we can do both like why can't we just do both and lena suggests that she can make a thing to like replicate magan's tracking power and it'll help them find kara in the phantom zone and jean says you heard the lady let's go and i just love that that was so great because it was like they really incorporated lena like she's fully in it she's in the super friends (laughs) officially (laughs) so alex and lena actually end up having this really sweet scene together in the lab uh at the tower and Lena she suggests using Q waves to replicate the sensing power and Alex suggests using Kara's crystal as the bit of like her DNA they need like a bit of her DNA I guess to like put in this little device but I'm like hey girl why can't we just go to Kara's apartment um she does she brush her teeth 
uh, does she comb her hair? Um, <laughs> how about, like, does she drink things? Um, <laughs> is there, like, an unwashed mug just sitting in her sink, you know? <laughs> like, I don't know why the first path that they chose was, like, fully destroying this, like, crystal message that Kara, like, as literally her last thing that she ever did to record like why 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 jeopardize that like why can't we just run over to her little apartment get a sweater that she wore take a little little hair off of it and i mean maybe the argument is that kryptonians don't lose their hair like okay fine this is sure they don't lose their hair how about we go and like nab her toothbrush i'm sure that she brushed her teeth how about we um you know, how about we go, uh, uh, get a little mug that she was drinking out of? Let's, let's do that. I'm sure she wasn't 100% caught up on her dishes when, uh, all of a sudden she got boofed to the Phantom Zone, guys. Like, <laughs> oh my god. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So, in the meantime, while Alex and, and Lena are kind of, like, figuring out what to do, Brainy has been scarfing down donuts literally all day long. And Nia notices. She's like, what are you doing? You're eating your feelings. <laughs> and, uh, but they talk about her dream and they talk about how she wishes she knew what it meant and but she says like eating his feelings isn't healthy she says a donut can't be there for you but i'm here if you if you want to talk and i just i love how nia is so supportive and and she doesn't push brainy away and she or she doesn't push him to like talk when he doesn't he isn't ready to talk you know and i i love that i think that's so sweet and, and he, he doesn't, you know, he's not defensive either. And it's just such a good relationship that the two of them have. I love them. Um, so back in the Phantom Zone, Zorel finds the mirror, but he gets attacked and, and Nixley saves him from the attacker, some like prisoner guy named Scar. And Nixley tries to fix his broken ankle, but she can't do it because her magic is depleted. And they, they have to lug this big mirror over to this like anchor device, so they have to leave him behind. He calls Kara daughter in Kryptonian, and I loved that moment. I just was so shocked to hear the Kryptonian spoken on the show because it hasn't been, I don't think, spoken in a long time on the show. I think season three maybe is the last time when Kara was talking to, uh, who was it? Um, Pestilence? No, maybe P uh, Purity. I think it was Purity um, that Kara was talking to and she spoke in Kryptonian. That was awesome. Um, I was really happy to hear it on the show, but it was, you could like see on Kara's face how much it hurt to like leave him behind because she felt like she was abandoning, abandoning him. Um, and that was really an interesting moment. Um, so back in the lab, Lena and Alex are watching Kara's crystal messages where she talks about what family is and how much she loves her, fr her friends, you know, and that they're her family too. Again, the clip-on bangs. I'm sorry, I'm gonna mention them every single time because they're just so horrendous. They're horrific. They're horrible. Especially because this time the message, like the crystal message was so big, like in the room, it was like Kara sized. So I'm like, oh, good Lord, we can see the clip on bang in HD. God damn. <laughs> but Lena and Alex, they genuinely look so pained watching her message. 
And I love that they chose Lena and Alex to have this moment because it feels like a continuation of what I have been talking about since episode 19 of season 5 where Kara and Alex are established as the most important relationships in Kara's life, genuinely. They're the only ones who have been privy to see these these crystal messages. They're the only ones that have had the privilege to watch them. And they both are the ones that care so much about Kara and are shown to be the ones that care so much about Kara. You know what I mean? So I, I love that. They're still, you know, driving it home that those two are the two most important people in Kara's lives. Um, and Alex ends up making a decision very similar to Jean's decision that he made last episode where she decides to give Lena the crystal to extract the life force from within it because she knows the real Kara is worth risking whatever kind of video message she left behind for them. Uh, and she says, I trust you. And Lena literally has to pause to, like, compose herself before she starts crying over Alex's, like, trust of her. And Alex ends up staying to help her in the lab, which is so sweet. And again, very reminiscent of older seasons, older scenes from other seasons where, you know, the two of them would work in the lab together. And I love that. Love that. So Lena ends up finishing this tracker thing that can track Kara, but Alex... Oops, I skipped a bit. Anyway, so Magan and Nia are tasked to work together to combine their locating powers uh, with Nia's astral projection to find Prime's lair. But during this mission, Nia is again bombarded by another Midvale dream, so she wasn't able to actually locate the lair. But the egg was turning solid, so they're running out of time. They've only got like an hour. That's how pressed for time they are. They've got an hour until they literally cannot defeat this guy anymore. So leading up to that, Alex finish, fi finishes that tracker thing that can track Kara, but Alex ends up confronting her and says that they need it to track the egg thing because they won't let Magan get close to it because she'll just, like, re-turn into a phantom or whatever. So they're not going to use Magan to track it. They need the tracker thing to track it. Anyway, so if they recalibrate it, they'll lose Kara's DNA and they won't have another way to find her. And Alex says that Kara would feel so horrible if thousands of people were allowed to die just to get her back. Lena says that she has to get Kara back because she wants to make things right. Like, she's very guilty about her role in what happened to Kara. And she feels like she needs to be the one to save her in order to kind of, like, make amends. But Alex is like, look, we've all made amends with you, and you've made amends with Kara for everything that you've done. Now it's time to forgive yourself, and you need to do the right thing today, so give me the thing! And Lena hesitates for a minute, which, but Alex decides that they don't have the time for that, which I fully understand. And she just snatches it out of her hand using her little Martian wristlet thing, and... A lot of people found this moment really difficult to kind of, like, reconcile, but I, I, I liked it. I thought it was, I mean, it was an exempt, it was an exact, it was exactly how I expected each of those characters to react in that kind of situation. Of course, Lena is going to put Kara above everything because, I mean, no matter what she feels kind of role she played in Kara's disappearance or whatever, 
she still cares about cars so much and Lena, as much as she loves the world and she wants to save the world, I think that Lena, in the same way that Kara is, is inherently just a little bit selfish when it comes to the other person in this little uh, connection between the two of them in their relationship. Because many times, Kara has refused to risk the lives, or she has refused to uh, risk Lena's life to save more lives. You know, she, many times, if you go watch my Supercourt video, I point them all out. I point every single one of them out. She has, she risked National City's entire water supply to, because she wasn't going to let Lena die, you know? And, and Lena's the same exact way about Kara. She is not going to like, she's like, sorry, National City, like, you guys can just have a phantom problem. Like, we need Kara back, and I need her back, like, yesterday. So, sorry about it. But Alex, on the other hand, is a soldier. She has been trained, and she says this in the episode, which is why I think it's so stupid that people are like, I didn't like it, it was out of character. No, it wasn't. She literally told you in the episode exactly why she did that, and that lines up with so many of her past actions that she, because, I mean, it, it made me call back to season five where, and I had this exact conversation when I talked about this episode from season five where she used Kara contacting Lena as a way to, like, Trojan horse that hologram. You remember where uh, Lena was at the, with the, I don't know, with the missile with Eve and, and Kara, like, hologrammed in and was like, Lena, I, you know, you don't need to be bad. You can be good. And, and, and Alex used that message as a Trojan horse to, like, hack Lena's system, basically. And Kara was so mad about that. But Alex was like, look, I needed to save the world. Like, I can't let her shoot. It's called Claymore. She can't, I can't let her shoot Claymore, you know, just for fun. And, and that's the kind of exact same thing that happened that this episode where over the course of, sh of the show, it's been shown that she, of course, was always going to protect the people above literally anybody. Lena's feelings, especially, and even above Kara, because she just, that's how she's trained. That's who she is as a character. And it's obviously a tough call, but but Alex made that tough call for her, you know? And, and I, I don't know. It's definitely, it was, it was a good moment for me. Because again, it's exactly how I expect both of those characters to react in that situation. Um, back in the Phantom Zone, Kara and Nixley get the mirror up on the wall and it opens to the fortress. But Nixley says that she cannot go back to save her dad. She tells Kara, you should leave your dad behind because he's, he's a weak link and he's dragging you down. And he, she also says, oh, which was crazy. She says, look, you got banished by him as a child. She basically is like, you should be pissed at this guy. You should hate him. You know, you should hold some kind of grudge against him like he banished you from the planet and sent you to this foreign place far far away and you got stuck and you you know whatever and I thought that was such an interesting moment and and Kara kind of denies exactly what happens in that moment but 
And it reminded me of another scene from the the show where Kara kind of reacted in that similar way to like the traumatic things that have happened to her. I think it was from season three, like the first episode where she Kara was kind of like mean to Alex because Alex was kind of like shrinking her in that moment. And Kara was like, you don't know anything about me. And that was kind of like what happened between the two of them in this episode. Kara was like, you know, I'm sorry that happened to you, but you're projecting. But it was fully true. I mean, her dad is responsible for what happened to Krypton. Like, we've established that a million times. Her dad and her mom are responsible for what happened to Krypton. I mean, not solely, but they played a huge part in it. And that's definitely a problem. And, and I think, I mean, it's, I think it shows a lot about Kara's character, about what she's willing to overlook and deny in order to not lose anybody again, or to, like, have a piece of her home come back, you know what I mean? And I think we kind of saw that reaction as well when Alora came back. She didn't take her anger out on her, on her mom, the kind of anger that we saw in season one. It was rather more just like relief that she had as a family member alive again, you know? And that's what I think that Kara feels about Zorel. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so Nixley reveals that it was actually her who attacked Zorel as Scar and knocked him out. And she, she basically, what she says is she needed Kara to like activate the exit is basically what she says. Um, and she needed Kara's help. She needed da- her dad's help. She used them and she threatens to terrorize Earth before she goes home to the fifth dimension to exact her revenge on everybody who ever blinked at her wrong, basically. Um, <laughs> and Kara vows to stop her. So back on Earth, there's there's basically this horror movie sequence. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Um that takes place uh, as the super friends move through the sewer where the lair is, they keep dropping like flies until only Alex and Nia are left. And Nia is able to create a tunnel that allows Alex to run up to the egg thing and jam the device into it. And it scatters the souls and they defeat the phantoms and they go back to their human forms. And Brainy and Dreamer end up teaming up to use Lena's prototrap and Dreamer's dream energy to suck up the prime phantom and put him in their backpack it was a great action sequence it was great and it was scary it was genuinely scary to like watch them all get like sucked away i'm like oh my god oh my god um it was like ghostbusters So back in the Phantom Zone, Kara's getting her shit rocked. She is getting her shit rocked by Nixley. And they accidentally activate the self-destruct button with Kara's body uh, slamming into the keypad. Um, so Nixley actually threatens to leave, but Kara blocks the exit with this, like, and she grabs this, like, spiky baseball bat, fully walking dead, you know, and smashes the mirror. And I love how Kara just has the greatest dumb jock energy ever. (laughs) Um, and I mean, some people were kind of like, oh my god, why would she do that just to, like, because she was upset about her dad, but, like, hello, Nixley literally said that she was gonna like terrorize the entire earth like she wasn't gonna let that happen on her watch so she's like fine out of just to be petty I'm gonna lock us both in here you know and 
Um, <laughs> and, and she saved Earth again, just like she always does. And I mean, especially because she knows exactly how much damage a fifth dimensional imp can, can cause. Because, I mean, that's the thing is like, she knows after dealing with Mixie, she knows the powers that these fifth dimensional imps have. So she's not going to let uh, Nixley run around on Earth, if, especially if she is like, I'm going to go back for my dad. You know, I'm not going to let you just run willy nilly on Earth, you know. So anyway, the Kara runs out of the place while it's exploding and she leaves Nixley and Zorel in the anchor as it's exploding. So at the end of the episode, Lena approaches Alex on the balcony of the tower, and Lena tells Alex that she doesn't think she belongs within the Super Friends. She doesn't think that she could have made the sacrifices that the other heroes have made. And Alex basically is like, look, we work as a team because we're all different. I'm a soldier, and it took all of my training to do the right thing today, like to not just run after Alex and to not just let the phantoms do what they will. It took all my training as a soldier not to do that. And she tells Lena that she has a huge heart and that wanting to save Kara doesn't make her any less of a hero. And, and Alex says that all of these hero strengths come from their differences and their disagreements are what give them that strength as a team. Um, and this is a very much, very much a callback to that moment in Crisis when Clark was on the balcony telling Kara that he couldn't risk Lois to save the world. I will read you the direct quotes. I've got the quotes. Uh, hold on. <laughs> um, and I actually, you know what's kind of crazy? I actually talked about this scene specifically in my Supercorp episode as like an example of what they've done with that's similar to between Kara and, and uh, between Supercorp and Clovis. It's in my Clovis section. And this scene where he says, yeah, I'd like to think that if it came down to a choice between Lois and the world, that I could, like, give her up. But he says, but I don't think I could. And that scene is, like, insane. It's, you know, it's something that's so similar to what Kara has done before, has tr how Kara has treated Lena. But now Lena literally says it. She says... I know how much your sister means to you, Alex, and yet today you made the most painful sacrifice because it was the right thing to do. She says, I don't think I could do that. And it just, like, is is very much uh, a huge parallel between Supercorp and Clovis right in this moment and on the same damn show in the same, like, within the past, like, year <laughs> from the very last season. And I mean, you know what? Not to not to act like a clown, but I'm clowning. I'm clowning. I think I'm gonna say it. I think Supercorp is Endgame. I just, I mean, listen. Am I clowning? Sure. Um, am I gonna be a clown up until like literally the final moment of the final episode? Absolutely. But I think that I have it on good merit that Supercorp is Endgame. I don't know. There's no other option at this point. I mean, especially because if they were wanting to set up literally anything with William, they would have had him folded into the Super Friends, much like they're doing with Lena. Like, they're... 
If they were trying to set up William as some kind of romantic love interest, he would not have been absent from these past two episodes. We would have seen him fighting tooth and nail to get Kara back. But who did we see fighting tooth and nail to get Kara back? Lena. These past, like, two episodes is, that's literally what these past two episodes have been about, is Lena fighting tooth and nail to get Kara back. And I just... That's super corp endgame. I mean, for real, it is. I don't know. I, I'm just maybe I'm just a clown, but I think it's happening. I think it's real. I'm gonna I'm speaking it into existence. It's happening. Okay. Anyway, so for the last couple scenes of the episode, Brainy is feeling like super duper frustrated. Nia tells him about her mid veil flashes and how they just keep happening and how she wishes that her mom was around to guide her and Brainy says I'm sorry you don't have your mom but you have me and Nia says we have each other so Jean and Magan have this really cute moment too where uh Magan says I almost lost you today and, and Jean's like well now you know how it feels and I just love them I love them I love them um <laughs> So at the very tail end of the episode, Jean says that all the Prime Phantom does is work on instinct. So they figure out Lena kind of jumps in is like, oh my god, we can use him to track Kara by instinct if we get him her DNA. And Alex says that one of the times Kara blew out her powers was during high school in Midvale. So that makes Nia realize that they have to travel back in time to Midvale to get her DNA from young Kara. Yes! 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 I'm so excited. Oh my god. I'm so excited. I'm so excited, guys. You have no idea. I'm gonna lose my goddamn mind. I'm gonna lose my mind. I'm gonna lose my mind. I'm gonna lose my mind. I'm gonna go crazy when these Midvale episodes air. You guys have no idea. Oh my god. I'm the number one Midvale warrior. I've been begging for the past three years to make a Midvale spinoff. <sighs> Please watch these episodes. If if you don't watch any other Supergirl episode, like, on the app, please just, like, put these on in the background. Like, show them that there's interest in Midvale. What if they do a spinoff? I'd be down. Oh, my God. Anyway, though, in the last second of the episode in the Phantom Zone, Kara watches as the anchor blows up, destroying what she believes is her only chance to get home and killing her father again. Oh, big ouch. Big, big ouch. Big yikes. Oh, oh my god. Poor baby. Her face was so devastated, and I'm really interested to see exactly how this goes down. Um, especially because... Uh, I don't know. I'm just... I don't know. People have been speculating that they weren't actually even there, like Nixley and, and Zorel. They were just like phantoms, like messing with Kara in the phantom zone. And I wouldn't be surprised. But I just, I don't know. I don't know. There's so much still left to explore with Kara's trauma and the phantom zone. Um, and especially now, I think she's, because she's going to be alone with her thoughts and she doesn't have a goal to get towards. There's going to be a lot of internal 
uh, dealings uh, with Kara for these next couple of episodes before she gets out. So I'm really excited to see that. Like I said, I mean, I'm thrilled beyond thrilled for these Midvale episodes. I am so excited for them. Um, yeah, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. Definitely let me know what you think in the comments below, or you can tweet me at TelevisePod. Let me know what you think. Um, you can rate, like, subscribe, share, do all the things, and I will see you guys next week. Bye.